0: Hello, and welcome back to season two of Zero Wasted Days. I am honored that you are here with me, and I am so excited for all of the episodes to come. I am also just very grateful for all of the reviews that you've been leaving and all of the love that you've been giving me inside my DMs. I love nothing more than to be of service to you and to hear that everything that I'm talking about here at Zero Wasted Days is resonating. You know, I really want to inspire you to push the boundaries of what's expected in your your life and business to challenge norms and your growth edges and to go after the most audacious dreams because I've seen for myself that anything is truly possible when you have a vision and are ready to go after it. Are you ready to dive in? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Zero Wasted Days. You will see that I am welcoming a brilliant guest in here today. You've had me solo for a few weeks and before that we were in the summer hiatus. But I have Anna Clutes with me today, and I am super excited to be, one, interviewing somebody in France, but also just somebody who I've followed all along and whose journey is super inspiring. Anna is a New York Times bestselling author. She's also a small business owner, a content creator, and as you will hear, more of a world traveler than me. And everything that she shares is highly inspiring. I think you've been called the original Emily. Is Emily in Paris? Yeah, <laughs> Emily in Paris. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the actual show, but you know, I'm really excited to have a conversation with you here today and welcome Anna. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. As I said, I don't interview that many people in France. My podcast is largely Anglo clients in Australia and the US and Canada and the UK. So it's one same time zone, which makes things a little bit easier. Oh, yes, it does. I'm usually doing these at midnight our time because that's the first time that LA had an available appointment. Oh, don't get me going about LA (laughs) and the (laughs) West Coast.
1: No one warned me for sure before I moved and I guess I didn't think it through, but also my business was so young, mm. hours I would be working by choosing to live in France. It yeah. it, it is, I, I just forgot that part until I arrived. And now I'm often up until 2am. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as
0: a mom and a very much a, a morning person, I, so I've gravitated to actually finding more clients in, and I have a network in Australia as well, because those can be my morning clients. And then uh. So you have to make it kind of work for you. But yeah, I can't do midnight. I just can't do midnight. I thankfully have
1: always been a bit of a night owl. So it helped me <sighs> oh, just lean into that. And then the morning, yeah. like my alone time and yeah. my like, enjoyment time, which works well in France because as things shut down early here.
0: Totally, and they don't wake for at any early more hours of the of the morning either. Okay, no,
1: not. you're looking, you're hard pressed to find a coffee shop open its doors before ten a.m.
0: I know, I know, no like there's no seven a.m. <laughs> latte
1: on the way to spinning.
0: That's not happening here. So, I like I said, I've consumed a lot of your story and your content, and and I know and I understand where you've come from, but obviously not everybody will, and some might say that you've led two adult lives so far. You know, you're know, you 19 to 30 years old, and then maybe you're 30 plus years. I'd love you to take us back to part one of your adult life and describe what it looked like <laughs> and how it ended up with you on the bathroom floor in tears. I don't know if it was an apartment or in a, in a hotel room or where it was. I'd, mm-hmm. l- I'd love you to take us back to part one.
1: Yeah, I think what's bizarre is I certainly have lived two lives at least. And the first one, the first adult life started way earlier than most people would begin their adult life. I went to college in New York City. So my campus was 27th Street. And you have the sense when you leave Ohio, where I grew up and moved to New York City for college that you've grown up overnight. I wasn't going to frat parties. I wasn't hanging out on the quad. I was like, already scrambling for a job, learning my way around Manhattan. I grew up the day I moved there. And then I met the person, the the man that is my ex-husband when I was 19 and started dating him. And then we got married when I was 25. So everything just took off way earlier than I had planned. I was always the person who said, I don't even want to be married before I'm 30. Like I was just very much set on moving to New York and like living this career focused life. Mm -hmm. And then I met my ex-husband and that kind of just changed the trajectory. He was quite a bit older than me and already had a lot of his life figured out at the point where I was a sophomore in college and had no idea what I wanted to do. I was studying fashion and becoming increasingly aware that I didn't want to work in fashion. And meanwhile, he had his whole life laid out already and he already had a routine and a plan and a job in an apartment. And rather than start working for my own things, I very quickly just started molding my life around his and helping him with his projects and moving into his apartment. And really until my whole life, he was at the center of, Mm -hmm. and it went from being at first, as I recount in my book, a really beautiful adventure that I was very excited about, to a really complicated inhibiting situation for my own self and my own personal growth. And and it was something that I repressed rather than felt. I felt guilty for, for not being able to be happy in this seemingly charmed life that I was leading. And it eventually ended with my husband leaving me and me being left with nothing because I had built everything around him. I worked mm. for him, I lived in his apartment. I had pretty much isolated myself from my friends, my family, my hobbies to be able to be there for him all the time. And when he left, I was, yeah, alone on our apartment floor at 30 going what who mm. even am I right now?
0: Mm. Mm. And so part 2 then <laughs> of your adult life is really the one I probably know more about. And I guess having found you sometime in the last few years. So why the move to Paris from the apartment floor in New York City? And part B of that is like, how did you, you know, get up again and find the courage and the inspiration to, to reinvent yourself?
1: Yeah, the short answer is, it's why I wrote my book. It's this is like entirely what my book talks about because it's really hard to have a, a short, succinct answer to all of that. <laughs> I basically in that kind of lowest point of my life, which I felt at the time it certainly was. And I went through all the emotions of embarrassment and disappointment and feeling just like my life was absolutely over to thinking, OK, I can wallow in this forever but it's not going to fix anything. I have to change the way I'm looking at this and use this as think of this as I've been given an opportunity to go build a life that will actually fulfill me, that will make me happy Mm -hmm. and go after some of these dreams that I put on the sidelines when I made this man, my dream instead. And the top of that list was living in France. I had, I'd always wanted to live here I studied French as a little girl and just fell in love with the language and the culture and everything about it. And then I did a semester here. And when I left that semester abroad, I was right after I met my ex-husband, I said, I, I swore to myself that I would come back and live here. Mm. And so when I started looking at this divorce as this opportunity to rebuild my life, and I became increasingly aware of my own my own power and my own, what I was capable of doing on my own. Cause I had really lost touch with that to the point where mm. I didn't even really think I was capable of doing anything on my own. And as I got back in touch with that, I was like, okay, I, I have to build a whole new life became, I get to build a whole new life. And then it became, and what do I want it to look like? It doesn't have mm, to be cool. here in New York. I don't have to just move a couple blocks uptown and, and, <laughs> still live in New York. I can live anywhere. And I really became set on if this life that I thought was my, you know, my happily ever after just ended. I want to then go after every biggest dream I've had that I've suppressed and see what happens if I try to live that life instead. And so that sparked the move to France, the me trying to find a lit agent, me saying Mm -hmm. I'm finally going to write this book that I've been wanting to write for 10 years. And I'm just going to go for every crazy dream. If I get knocked down, I'm already laying on the ground anyway. <laughs> like I already knows what, don't know what this feels like. So why not just go for it? And yeah. the worst that can happen is I end up right back where I already am right now.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can say, I understand. I've had to reinvent my story and myself multiple times and leaving corporate and feeling very betrayed and closing my first business. And I was nearly left at the altar. And each time it was really a reminder to return and keep working and living in my values. And that's been so instrumental that in fact, that forms a big part of the teaching and the coaching that I do with women is coming back to being very purpose and values centered, I'd love to know what you learned about not living and prioritizing your values and how you return to living to them again while while you've been in Paris, this chapter of your life.
1: I think that at first, for me, a lot of what I gave away, I wasn't aware how important it was to me because I was 19. And I started saying, sure, I don't need that. Okay, we'll do it your way. That's not that important to me. And I was Mm. trading away all these key elements of what makes me before I fully realized that those things were crucial to my identity, my sense of self and my sense of like pride and confidence. And so I traded those away very slowly and willingly in the name of love. It wasn't, it was something I just, I freely was like, sure, take it. There wasn't a struggle because I, I was young and, and it wasn't until I really started to feel so unhappy in my marriage and in my life and in my own mm-hmm. personal, like what I had done for myself. And I had this sort of like, quarter life crisis at 30 when i was turning 30 i had such a big breakdown because there are these milestones that world has set for us that by this age we're supposed to have this figured out this set up we should we should yeah. have done this and we measure ourselves against others who have done these things and we just feel not enough yeah. and i had this huge breakdown because i really looked at my life and was like none of the things that I really maybe I've done these things. Maybe I have a husband and I have a home kind of, and I I have a job, but at the same time, I didn't. Like I was very aware my relationship isn't right. This job isn't fulfilling me. It's not even something that I'm getting any kind of acknowledgement for, or it's not making me proud of, of who I am and what I'm capable of. And I really became aware of, I need to get back in touch with these things I've traded away because I don't mm. even know who I am anymore. And the sadness and like fear that I felt when my relationship ended was very present and very real. But at the same time, I felt so relieved mm. because I didn't have to keep struggling through every day and trying mm so hard to coexist with someone. And I got these little bits of myself back very quickly because I was no longer under the strain of this relationship that had taken them away. Hmm. And as those pieces returned to me, that was really only then that like their true significance became apparent. And I one by one recognized I can never trade this thing away again. Mm. I can never let anybody, you know, convince me that this is okay. Yeah, I, I learned really who I was and what those things are that are so important as they came back to me. And I had those whole pieces of myself
0: again. Yeah. Like we see so much better in hindsight, right? We look back and we go, my gosh, it was blind love and, and staring me in the yeah. face, but it's not until often we're in that the deepest, darkest times where the actual growth comes. That's even in our businesses. I think that's a lot, often in those like lulls, those fertile voids, those times where you're like, what the f- "What's going on? I don't know what's going on, That you're actually personally growing far more than you were at other times.
1: It is. And I really think I've noticed it in the relationship with my boyfriend I have now, I've noticed it with relationships with new friends that I've made here since I moved to France because we move abroad and everybody changes and they're new. Um, And and in my business relationships that these things, these like these certain pillars now, like I will not waver on them. If (laughs) I feel that boundary being crossed in any way from any type of relationship, I know to not proceed. As I've lived what happens when I proceed and I know the net result is not me feeling good, confident, fulfilled, happy, appreciated. And so it's, it was honestly such a beautiful lesson to learn Mm. because it's helped me in every faction of my life since to know these boundaries and to not let anyone cross them under any situation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And those pillars, those values, I have mine like literally sitting in front of me on my bulletin board there. For me and for my clients, it is such a, am, you can make decisions on them on a daily basis. Should I work with this brand? Should I do this partnership? Should I go on this podcast? If they're not sitting in your values, then it's a hard, yeah. it should be a hard no, right? It should
1: be. And you might think these things, but sometimes mm. you do have to actually identify it you have to beat yeah. it down and yeah. really stare at the words and say yes this is me this is important to me yeah. this is the pillar of who I am this is something I have to protect
0: and stand behind and from the rooftops if that's what it takes for people to understand yeah. Yeah. And I see so many women also, we go along these paths in our lives and our businesses and you start to veer off. And when you have them sitting in front of you, especially in business, you're like, am I actually a like, humor is actually one of my, one of my core values. And so I'm like, am I like having fun in my business? Am I actually feeling the joy? Joy is another one. And this helps you just bring you back into how you want to not just act, but how you want to be and how you want to feel in your business on on a daily basis. Yeah, definitely. And so talking business, your business now would, in my eyes, would be one that many would long after. Like you're a writer, you're a travel influencer, a lifestyle influencer, content creator, like weaving beautiful kind of creative magic together with, for brands that you align with. How are you really building your business now? Up to 30, you weren't an entrepreneur, I don't think. And how have you learned to um, run a business? And presumably when you had no experience before.
1: Yeah. Trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) What's amazing about working in the digital space and content creation is that I say in my book, it's the wild West and Mm. it's always changing. And when I entered that side of the world, this new foreign territory of Instagram (laughs) and the word influencer didn't even exist. This was 2015. That wasn't a thing. It was never what I was going for. I very quickly identified Instagram as something I enjoyed because Mm -hmm. I didn't have any community. I was very isolated with my ex-husband. We were constantly traveling. We were constantly surrounded by his job and his peers, which is a pretty entirely male dominated uh, sector. And they just love to talk about magic all the time. Nothing but magic, which I get. It's your business. It's your passion. It's your talent. I get it. But it can mean that if you are the layman in the room and a woman, no one's going to talk to you. (laughs) No one wants to talk to you. A couple of people will give you a pleasant smile and and a, hey, you are an outsider for a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And when I found Instagram, it was suddenly this space where I could make friends and I realized other people are doing what I'm doing. Other people enjoy what I enjoy. And it it gave me this community that I didn't have at the time. And then it has spun into what it is. And I've been there every step of the way, trying to learn, trying to figure out how is this evolving? How can I work with brands? If you would have told me that I would be doing that when I started my Instagram account in 2015, I wouldn't have believed you there. Mm-hmm. you know, There's no way. But at the same time, I had a sense that it was that it would be something important. And the biggest thing that mattered to me at the time was that it was giving me fulfillment. It was mm-hmm. making me feel like I had an outlet for my creativity and it was making me part of a community. Mm-hmm. And when you're saying joy and fun are the pillars you feel like are critical to your business. I felt so similar. Of, I have to enjoy what I'm doing. Mm. I have to be, ha- be having fun. I have to be challenged and I ideally want to feel like what I'm doing is important or impactful that you know I am helping people in some way or another. And so it has been a really beautiful weird combination that these multiple side hustles I have essentially have blended into one big job with many branches off of it that I think serve all those needs. And for me, like my personal needs of what I need to be doing to feel fulfilled with what I am spending yeah. forty plus hours <laughs> a week working on. And that was always very important to me.
0: Yeah, super cool. So I know as a female entrepreneur, there is so much talk of working in flow and ease and leaning into your feminine energy. But I also know that so many female entrepreneurs are feeling frustrated and stuck or not hitting the financial goals for themselves because they don't actually have a strategy. Now, a strategy doesn't need to be difficult, but I have something that's gonna make it even easier for you to create a strategic plan for your business. I have the Annual Almanac, which is a 16-page absolutely free document for you that's going to help you map out your business for the next quarter, maybe for the next year, and it's going to give you a clear map on what you need to do to get to where you want to get to and make those financial goals a reality. You can download the annual almanac via the link in my bio, at the show notes, wherever you're watching this video or listening to the podcast. And you know what I think is really interesting when I was reflecting on your business as a business mentor, to look at your business and see how necessary it is to be emanating the right kind of energetic frequency. In my business, I talk about st- strategy, all the strategic bits, and then this energetic or layman's would be like the vibe, like your vibe that you are emanating. And when I'm thinking about like the brands and businesses that you're working with, they're not necessarily buying a product from you. There's obviously, there's content that is obviously linked to, to sales. Mm -hmm. And clearly that's what influencer marketing is built on. But I'd love you to tell me about why you think brands gravitate to working with you and how you maintain this. I can feel a frequency. I can feel a vibe. And obviously you're the creative director of your content. But while you're creating that, but also you're coming across very authentically and honest and in integrity. Why are brands coming to you and how are you crafting this if if you think that you're crafting it?
1: I would say that a lot of the feedback I get is to start. A lot of the brands I actually approach myself, and that's how a lot of my work started. Before I was big or, or exposed enough to be seen by brands and have them contacting me, I just started reaching out to brands I loved, brands I had used cool. and worn, and hotels I had stayed with a million times. Yeah, yeah. Shoes I've worn since I was nineteen. The my favorite <laughs> lipstick. I just started reaching out to them and saying. I love your product. I've mm-hmm. used your product. I Here's my vision for how I want to share your product. And I would approach them that way. And more often than not, that would result in, wow, we want to work with you. That sounds really cool. cool. But it was coming a hundred percent from authenticity. A lot of the brands that now reach out to me, Reach out to me because they've seen me share these other Mm -hmm. brands that I basically the projects and clients I first got myself. They've most of them have a someone on their personal team or someone who just organically followed me,
0: Mm -hmm. and then
1: would say, "We want to work with you. Would you consider working with us?" And even in that case, I turn down most things Mm -hmm. honestly because if it's not something I use or would use, I will just directly. Be very honestly, that doesn't fit into my lifestyle. I can't really say that I would use that myself. So then I can't share it. I don't know if everyone truly has that same amount of that, I don't want to say integrity, but like that line in the sand of I'm not going to share it if I'm not using it. Because I'll still mm. have to reach out and be like, Do you actually use this makeup though? And I'm like, Yes, I'm not a paid actress in a commercial, of course. Yeah. This is my this is what I use. But I think it is that that like that authenticity does speak. Mm. And I always say, I can't share a product I'm not using because I won't be able to actually talk about it and explain what it is that I like about it and, and find something unique to say. Mm. Any person can read a script and and pretend, you know, this is the best, whatever serum on the planet. But when you actually do know a brand inside out, because you are familiar with it. I think what you end up saying and what you end up creating can be different. And yeah. it, it strays from the script because you're speaking from your life experiences. So yeah. I think that would be a lot of it. But there are times that I miss the really creative side of it where it's not just about personal recounting. This is why I love this. Oh. When I work more with travel brands, I get to be more like, okay, how am I going to tell this story? Yeah. And, and that's what I really love doing. That's what yeah. I really, cause it allows you to be creative and figure out what's the story of this brand or this product or this hotel brand. How does it intertwine with mine? Why am I here? Well, how do I see myself in this mm. brand? What can I create? And that, that speaks to like the creative part of me that really comes alive being like, okay, here's what I'll do.
0: Yeah. And that storytelling is so powerful to create that emotional connection with your audience and probably keep people coming back. And it's just, yeah, the the story that you, and, and now I can see, obviously, that's why your content comes across very authentically. It's more initially the brands that you reached out to. And so I can make the connection now as to why that feels like it's the right energy that you're emanating and why brands are are choosing it. It's cool. It's good to see that kind of behind the scenes. Yeah.
1: And that's what's interesting is everyone's story is different. There isn't one way everyone's doing things, Mm -hmm. even like among my other friends who do content creation, the way we get jobs, the way we approach jobs is so drastically different. And it's still in so many ways as a world where like, we don't ever really know what is going on, where it's going next, what's possible. It's a hard
0: industry to work in, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And can be crit- criticized as, a, oh, is yeah. it a job? And yeah, yeah. And I know and that there are businesses, agencies. No idea how yeah. much
1: yeah. work it is, but yeah. it's a lot of work and it's all day. You And I know my other friends who like really create think like this. It's really hard to turn it off mm. once you have entered that lens of you want to be capturing things. <laughs> and because I do a lot more capturing what is there. Than creating a moment. If you're creating yeah. and you're really curating, you can. Okay, I'm going to shoot this morning at nine. I'm going to take all yeah. my props and I'm going to go get that moment. But what I do is often so much more. I'm here in this moment and I just found a story. Yeah. You know yeah. <laughs> I'm a reporter of scene and I just found a story. But now I have to capture it and it might be in the middle of my dinner or it might be in the middle of my date or whatever. But now it's so hard for me to not go. Yeah, something out of what I've stumbled upon or what organically happened. And so that can lead to you literally like always being on the job in a way uh, uh, and
0: not really being able to
1: turn off that. Oh,
0: I got to get that. I
1: got to get that.
0: And what does your boyfriend say about that? Is he pretty tolerant of it?
1: He is. He's actually an incredibly tolerant of it. He's truly one of the most supportive and just loving people I've ever met and well he would have every right in the world to be like put your phone down it's been enough mm. he really is so amazed by the way I've created this job for myself and so proud of it mm. that he's he never ever makes me feel like you're being annoying can you please stop yeah. trying to capture this he's incredibly supportive
0: Okay, can you give us a little glimpse into the Paris love because everybody else hasn't followed along as the vested people have? Can you tell us about your neighbor and how he became a part of your new dream given that we're talking about him? I met my upstairs
1: neighbor outside my door the night that Paris went back into a second confinement in October of 2020. So, it couldn't have been funnier timing because I had been dating on like the apps and things that whole summer and fall. And I was so over it. Like, I was ready (laughs) to quit anyway. And then when I heard we were going back into a second confinement, I was like, thank God. I can just delete all these apps and dating is off the table. I don't even have to feel. You have to do this. (laughs) You should be dating. I can just sit in my uh, solitude and write this And I bumped into him that night in front of the door. Like after I had been like, goodbye, Hinge. (laughs) See you later, Bumble. Like deleting all of them one by one. I bumped into him. And then we basically spent the whole of confinement just hanging out in my apartment or his apartment every single night because we were here. There was nothing to do. We couldn't go anywhere. Everything was closed until May. And it was really beautiful. It was truly like... So many people that were in COVID relationships, I think can contest it was dating in reverse. Like yeah. instead of doing all the fun stuff and being out every night and only seeing each other a couple of times a week, cause you can't seem too keen. Like instead we were together all the time doing absolutely nothing like the most boring stripped down version of life. And I feel like anyone who could make it through that then yeah. can make it through, okay, now we get to go have fun in the outside world and, and now we can do activities and meet people and go to restaurants. And it was truly just the example of I wasn't looking and and it came knocking. Mm. And in, in every single way is the complete opposite of the relationship I was in before. Mm. And I truly feel like I manifested it into my life.
0: So cool. And I encourage everybody who's listening, go and watch Anna's (laughs) different (laughs) stories and and reels and things. And it'll just, it'll make you, it's tale. It'll make you, it'll make you cry. (laughs) And Anna, Jim Rohn says that you're the average or every people are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. There's evidence that actually extends farther than five people, but it's clear that who we surround ourselves with helps us Become who we are. You know, the question I'm going to ask you who would you say are your biggest influences other than what's his name, actually? Boyfriend? I don't say. <laughs> oh, you don't say. Okay. No, other um, than boyfriend. Um, I've never shared
1: it publicly. Well, maybe that's why I didn't know. <laughs> I share it sometimes, but yeah, it's a, a weird It's fine. Oh, the French are more private than us anyway. Totally. Yeah. It was a weird thing of when I started dating again, my last relationship had been very public because of my platform and the nature of my ex-husband's work. And it honestly just began from this feeling of not everyone needs to know everything, mm-hmm. actually. Like I share a lot of my life yeah. very personally, but I felt like I had this little like bud, right? That like yeah, I really yeah. to grow into something beautiful and I just felt the need to like 100%. Shelter
0: it as much as possible. Yeah, protect it. And so <laughs> other than boyfriend, who are some of the people that are the biggest influences in your life and and, and in your business?
1: The people who I really surround myself with the most is entirely my mom and dad, uh, my siblings. My sister, Amanda, lives in Los Angeles, but we joke that I see her more than I see friends that live here in Paris. (laughs) and she says the same. I see you more than friends who live down the street in L.A. I think that despite being abroad, which distances me from my family, it almost encouraged me to make the effort to see them and make that time Mm. worthwhile all the more. So, my boyfriend, my parents, and my siblings, and then a couple of my close friends here, I'm sure you like that. It's really important to find one or two really mm. close friends who get you mm. when you live abroad because they become your family when your family yeah. is an ocean away. And you really need those people to lean on and commiserate with and check references with. And they get you through the really difficult unpretty Um, parts
0: of a life abroad and are most of them expats or would they be french
1: they're expats and i moved here being like i don't even want american friends i refuse (laughs) to to anyone american always Uh, but but actually you need that bit of home Mm. Uh, my best friend here is from california and like when i met her i was like okay i can stay in france forever (laughs) i knew i was like i just found my sister in france and i fine as long as she doesn't go anywhere
0: <laughs> yeah and I think women are different to men my husband was happy making and I'm happy making French friends but and I speak French fluently with the the depth that to which we have conversations like he's happy going to the bar and talking about politics and sports and whatever the weather and, and different like kind of surfacey type stuff whereas as women I think we really crave a deeper connection with our friends and connection is a big part of of women, right? And same thing. First little while I was like, no, I don't need English friends. And then who are my four besties here? We've made a thing called Supper Club and that I used to have in Australia. And it's four expats, Irish, two English. And And I
1: gladly take all the French friends that wanted to have me. It's a hard thing to break into. They have the same friends since they're younger and they are very tight knit groups, which is beautiful, but that makes it difficult for You as like the, the new girl in town to yeah. into yeah. these friendship groups that go back to elementary school. Yeah. Um, and, and even more is- so here in the country. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine.
0: Well, probably actually not too dissimilar to, to to Paris and probably for that matter, a- a- anywhere there is its nuances in country or city, but yeah, they're, and down in Pays, like Basque and down here, this kind of, the shutters are closed, like the shutters are closed. <laughs>
1: I can totally imagine. And yeah, just sometimes the ability to, I, I was laughing with another expat friend of mine who has a French husband and she speaks fluent French, but she said, when we fight, when we're having a disagreement, despite my fluent French, I need to speak in English. Oh, and I, it's, it's there's just something about, I think in any other, no matter how fluent or fluidly you're able to speak. yeah, I don't feel like I will ever feel 100% me if I'm not speaking my native mm. language mm. and when I really need to cry or vent or speak deeply personally, it, yeah. it has to be in English. And so yeah. having a friend that you can, will understand you through your sobbing or ranting or whatever, it is pretty important.
0: I say it all the time. And same thing with the kids will be at the soccer or, and I'll try to keep, keeping in the French if we're in a French environment until I need to tell them off. And I'm like, but I'm in English. <laughs> And, but the interesting thing is, so the three of them, the, the middle one in particular, he's been here since he was six and he does the opposite. He actually rants in French. So oh, that's amazing. we were on the beach in Greece and sitting there talking English. And then he got upset with his brother and went, ba, 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 in French. And this French couple looked over and were like, what was that? Like real authentic, <laughs> no accent French. And yeah, it's just funny because they're growing up here and their first language is English, but still have that uh, French. Yeah, it's very funny.
1: What an what an amazing gift yeah, cool. to have as a child to be able to express yourself in two languages so perfectly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love the French actually use a word they say it's, it's the ones that see the English as a richesse or the French the dual language the bilingual they I love the richness the richness and it is it's a richness that it is what I can't yeah. Because
1: some things don't just translate. Like it's entirely different there are some things I only know how to express in French now yeah some things that I only know how to express in English yeah um, and it's yeah. very funny when I've learned the French so that I'm trying to figure out what that would be in English and I realize yeah. it doesn't
0: exist doesn't and I
1: exist. can't ever really translate that particular
0: sentiment yeah yeah uh, I just say is- it's compliqué <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> which they use for everything yeah compliqué uh, it's compliqué I've got a couple of more little final questions for you. As a a big dreamer, I'm sure there are things that you would love to do still. And I understand perhaps that a live your life screenplay is maybe being written with your sister. Can you give us a little glimpse of what's happening in your world on the horizon, if you're able? Yeah, Amanda and I spent a good
1: portion of last year trying to finalize that, which we do have finalized the writer's strike Began right around the same time that we finally finished up that draft. And so we haven't much had too much going on. But we are hoping that if that project finds the right, right partners and people to Mm. bring it to life, that could potentially one day be a feature film, which would be beautiful. I'm working on a second book that I've been working on. My first book ended up taking four years, which was nuts, but it was a lot of COVID delays and things. So I've been writing that second book for a Mm. while anyway, but I'm just wanting to savor the first one for a little bit before I dive right back into that crazy writing mode and planning mode. And then I am always working on a million different things. I have sister's joke that I start 10 companies a day in my head. And if I could just clone myself, I would have things uh, a lot more going and a whole empire built by now. But uh, I have some fun things that I want to launch and do. And Amanda and I started in 2020, a company called hooray for, where we were creating t-shirts that celebrate life and the little things Mm. in life during that very dark time where a lot of us felt like everything was going wrong. And we had to pause it temporarily because we lost our supplier and screen printer, but getting that back up and going is a big priority for us for next year, because it was the wonderful thing we had going on and made us both very happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. And so obviously we'll be continuing to follow along. And obviously there's things that I'm sure you have in the works that you can't also disclose, which is also fun and part of the journey. But one of my um, personal values, we talked about values before is spirit of adventure. And what I know we, we, I don't know if it's one of your core values, but I know you, you do share an appreciation for adventure. And my final question to all of my guests is what adventure actually means to you?
1: To me, it means truly putting yourself in a completely unfamiliar situation where you have no, I've been here before moment, or I I know what I'm doing, or I can build off this. And that can be a new country, or it can be I'm going to pick up my whole life and move to France, even though I don't know anybody and I don't have a job there. Uh, it It's really, it's a new frontier, essentially, mm. whether that's mentally or physically it, or surroundings. It It's just saying, putting yourself in a completely new mindset and an experience and going into it with a sense of, what is this going to, where's this going to go? What's this going to teach me? Going in with excitement rather than fear and doubt.
0: Yeah. Super cool. And I love that we can do that. You could probably do that in Paris on a weekend. You can also do it on, on a bigger scale. Like you said, it can be a big dream, like moving to Paris, but it can also be small, smaller, little séjour. and, you know,
1: it can be, I'm going to sign up for adult ballet classes. I've always wanted to. <laughs> Yeah. And just going in the room and in your first ever leotard and, and going okay this is gonna be an adventure it's anything yeah that's Beautiful. what you you decide every what adventure is to, everybody is
0: different yeah and that's why I love hearing people's responses because it, it is it is different the, the world over
1: <laughs> I know I would actually love to like hear just or have a coffee table book of everyone's actual little different description of what it is because so yeah. often my book starts there has a, a, a sort of like an an intermediate part where I say that everyone's definition of something is completely personal. And sometimes in hearing other people's definition, you can realize, oh, maybe I'm a bit biased or maybe I don't quite understand Mm. the subject the way I thought I did, or why is their interpretation so different? That it's a really important thing to challenge and to listen to how other people feel about something so that, that we think there's such a clear definition of.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping to do like a bit of a mashup at the end of the year, end of this first year and get them all back to back. So when I do that, I'll send it to you. (laughs) Please do. So Anna, um, I would love you just to tell people where they can connect with you, where they can buy your book, where they can follow along. And yeah, let us know how they can make contact. Of course, I share...
1: Far too much per day on Instagram at, um, at Anna Kloots. My website is anaclutes.com and all my information is there. My Paris guide is there. Links to buy my book is there. My book is available pretty much anywhere books are sold. I've narrated the audio, which is available on Google Play and Audible. Yeah, there's too many places to,
0: <laughs> to get in touch with me if you're looking to. And that Paris guide is a great guide for if people are coming to Paris because it's all of the inside scoop places that you've put your best your top places to go. And is that food and fashion and everything or? Everything. It's I mean. honestly, if you just happened to be one of my
1: closest friends and we're going to Paris for the first time. And I just dumped my brain out for three yeah. hours to you. It's really a little bit of everything and kind of for everyone. It's an ever growing. I feel like I add a new page to it every month. <laughs> now it's has <laughs> finding places, 45 pages long. Yeah. Cause I have not experience things. I only put on there what I've done myself and
0: really enjoy mm.
1: it's ever growing.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I hope, and I know everybody will be inspired by your story of reinvention of coming back to your values and, and just dreaming big. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Zero Wasted Days podcast. I truly hope you found it to be valuable and inspirational as you work to create a life by your own design. I would love you to rate and review this episode to let everyone else know about it and help me share this important message with the world. All you need to do is screen grab your review, share it on socials, and tag me in to win a $100 Airbnb voucher that I'll be giving away every single month.